0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. This is the podcast where you control the conversation right here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. My name is William DiBiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is
1: Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. Uh, you can just call me Whitney Seibold. He's Whitney or, Seibold. Or, or, as of today, the guy with the blue hair. Uh, Whitney Uh, dyed his hair blue (laughs) head
0: on over to his Twitter page at Whitney Seibel just his name and uh, check out he posted a picture not that long ago he looks fab
1: Uh, well and I got this this is a professional job yeah it looks nice I uh, like a lot of people I got that itch during quarantine to just do something kind of weird with my hair I got some hair dye and then I realized I didn't trust myself to bleach my own hair for the first time because I'd never done it. So I went to a professional today, and they—they—they they, they, not only did they do it, but they put glitter in my hair. So as of now, I'm sparkling.
0: Mm. And uh, mm. literally, yeah, no, mm. yeah, it's quite nice. Uh, you left your beard
1: and eyebrows unblue. Well, that would look silly. I'm just saying. No, that, that wasn't for me. Just just the hair on my head is yeah. is blue. So you look just, fantastic. Just,
0: Vibrant turquoise It's very distracting And the light catches That glitter real nice Actually I He know. looks like he's like Straight out of the movie Legend or something <laughs> So um, so anyway Whitney's looking nice We're feeling mm. nice We'd love to hear from you uh, This episode is coming out A little bit different time Of the week Just because um, Scheduling stuff And we weren't ready To record our regular Critically Acclaimed episode So uh, We just thought We would do this Because we wanted To make sure that uh, You know We have We have We have podcasts for you You know <laughs> We want to make yeah. sure you, you, you we, enjoy our We, your we path, want to fill
1: your brain with our voices. Yeah. And so this, is also one of the, this is
0: also one of the best things that we do because we love talking to you and we love hearing your perspectives on things mm-hmm. and uh, being able to talk about the things that you're excited to talk about. So uh, without further ado, once again, if you want to write in uh, letters at criticallyacclaimed.net is the email address. We may read your email in a coming episode. We get too many letters to read them all, which is unfortunate, but we love seeing them all. We love reading them all, and we get to as many as we can on the air.
1: So, mm-hmm. without further ado, Whitney, right. take us away. All right. Here is a letter from Daniel. Hello, Daniel. Hi. Uh, dear Bivs and Whitney, I learned. I listened to your episode about the three different versions of Sherlock Holmes, and it inspired me to write in about a version of the character I think is unjustly forgotten. Uh, In the 1930s, an actor named Arthur Watner played Sherlock Holmes in five films, four of which survive. From everything I can find online, Watner's portrayal was highly acclaimed in his day, but it was overshadowed when the Basil Rathbone film started shortly after his last one.
0: That sounds about right. The
1: surviving Want Excuse me, not, it's not Watner, it's Wantner. The surviving Wantner films are public domain and have appeared on numerous cheapy Sherlock Holmes DVD sets over the years, which is how I first discovered them as a kid. Of course, now they're all on YouTube. Uh, Wantner was older than Rathbone and slightly more relaxed and amused in his portrayal. Three of the four available movies uh, feature Ian Fleming, not that one, as Dr. Watson, <laughs> and he is a much more dignified and intelligent than Nigel, Nigel Bruce was opposite... Basil Rathbone. Lynn Harding is wonderful as Moriarty in two of the films. Uh, The Triumph of Sherlock Holmes is a particular favorite of mine because it's one of the few adaptations of the novel The Valley of Fear. Hmm. Uh, Anyway, I'm curious if either of you have seen the Wantner series, and if so, what do you think? Alternately, uh, are there any other obscure versions of the character that you think are unjustly overlooked? Uh, Thanks, as always. Sincerely, Daniel. Uh, Yeah, that's actually really cool. So I'm actually not
0: sure if I've seen any of the Arthur Watner movies. And uh, for those who may be curious, uh, the films are, I just looked them up. Uh, The first one he did in 1931 was called The Sleeping Cardinal, uh, which was an adaptation of The Adventure of the Empty House and The Final Problem. Uh, The Lost movie he did was called The Missing Rembrandt, which was an adaptation of The Adventure of Charles Augustus Milverton. Uh, His third film was The Sign of Four, Sherlock Holmes' Greatest Case, based on The Sign of Four, Triumph of Sherlock Holmes, based on the Valley of Fear. And then the last film was Silver Blaze, based on the adventure of Silver Blaze, which was released in America as Murder at the Baskervilles, which is a little different. (laughs) Um, I saw several of the old school Sherlock Holmes movies when I was young, but I was so young that I'm actually not sure 100% which ones they were, Hmm. and I was probably young enough to potentially confuse... Uh, Wantner and Rathbone, who have kind of a similar profile, okay, like they probably look the same in the Deerstalker or not the same, but close enough that you know you might confuse them. Uh, so I can't say for certain if mm-hmm. I have. Do you, does this ring a bell to
1: you at all? No, I don't. Know, I don't know these Sherlock Holmes movies, and uh, it's been a long time since I've seen any of the, the Basil Rathbone ones. They were on TV a lot when I was a kid, and that's kind yeah. of they kind of drifted in and out of my consciousness without me really sort of taking note of which film I might be watching. Yeah. I just sort of got images stuck in my brain. Mm. Uh, as for like other forgotten uh, Sherlock Holmeses, oh gosh, there are so many. Yeah, he's one of the most adapted
0: mm. characters mm. ever, and and we there's no way we've seen them all.
1: There's a yeah. series of Sherlock Holmes movies from Canada, which I've hmm. been wanting to track down, and I, I haven't looked for a little while. Where uh, Matt Frewer plays Sherlock Holmes, oh, and yeah, uh, Matt Frewer that, is an huh? actor I really, really, really like. I think he's very, very funny. And uh, a series of him playing Sherlock Holmes, whether he's playing it straight or he's doing a comedic version, I don't know. But uh, I would love to check those out at some point.
0: Yeah, there's a couple of actually adaptations or, or you know, near adaptations that I've never seen that I've always meant to get around to. Uh, one of them is called They Might Be Giants, starring oh, George yeah. C. Scott.
1: Where he's, he's not Sherlock Holmes, but he thinks he is.
0: Yeah, and he's convinced that his psychiatrist, played by Joanne Woodward, whose last name happens to be Watson, uh, is his Watson. And um, so it's one of those, oh, he's clearly not in his right mind, but what a fun adventure kind of things. And I've heard it's great, Mm. but I happen to have never seen that one. And the other one that I've heard was really fantastic is The 7% Solution. Oh, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen
1: that either. Which was
0: uh, uh, based on a novel by and then directed by Nicholas Meyer, uh, who would go on to direct films like Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, Star Trek The Voyage Home, Mm. and uh, one of my favorite time travel movies, Time After Time. Uh, Which is really good. Yeah, he's a very, very clever storyteller. And I've always meant to get around to those two, but I never have. Uh, There's several adaptations that I think we mentioned uh, in that podcast Mm. where we compared the Benedict Cumberbatch, Robert Downey Jr., and Johnny Lee Miller versions. Uh, I'm a big fan of Murder by Decree starring uh, Christopher Plummer as uh, Sherlock Holmes' On the Trail of Jack the Ripper. That's a very, very good one. Mm. Um, I'm also a big fan of the comedy Without a Clue Which is a bit subversive because that one posits that Watson was the smart one all along. Um, I'm trying to think.
1: You talked about young Sherlock Holmes. Which Um, I think
0: is underrated. I found out a
1: lot of people just don't
0: like that one. I think it's great. I think it's a really solid, like, 80s sort of teen Amblin kind of adventure. Except the teens are Sherlock Holmes and Watson. Great idea.
1: In fact, I think it is an an Amblin production. It might be. Yeah. Yeah, it might be. Uh, I don't
0: have that information in front of me, but I wouldn't be surprised.
1: I haven't seen all of it, but I did see a few episodes of a TV series called Sherlock Hound, which was uh, put out by Studio Ghibli. It's, um, it's actually, yeah, uh, Miyazaki worked on that. M- yeah, yeah, Miyazaki directed a couple episodes of uh, this Sherlock Holmes series, but they're all anthropomorphic dogs. But it it has all of the, uh, the requisite charm that you've come to expect from Studio Ghibli. It was a really fun one, and
0: it, it's... I hesitate to call it an adaptation but because it's a Saturday Night Live sketch. But there was one (laughs) Saturday Night Live sketch where Jeremy Irons was the guest host. And they did a really fun... And it's weird because you'd think Jeremy Irons, like, he'd be a really good Sherlock Holmes. Why didn't he ever actually just play Sherlock Holmes for real? Apparently it's the only time he ever did. Uh, But the whole gag is Sherlock Holmes uh, keeps ruining everyone who knows him's uh, attempts to give him a surprise birthday party. (laughs) <laughs> and they're like oh they give him a box and he's just like oh yes well thank you for the new pipe you didn't want to open it why should i based on its weight and, and where this wrapping paper comes from and the faint whiff of tobacco i know for certain that it is a new pipe thank you i will open this later and then everyone just gets really pissed and this leaves and uh, it's like and that's the end of the sketch and then jeremy's like wait a minute all of my friends left simultaneously, and then he opens the front door, and they're about to yell surprise, and he goes, surprise! <laughs> <laughs> it's a classic bit, um, I love that whole bit, that bit um, is great.
1: And, uh, because we can't go ten minutes without talking about Star Trek, oh god, Moriarty shows up on Star Trek. And that, mm. and I'm glad he did. Yeah, he shows up on two episodes, in yeah. fact. Uh, there's, uh, a. <laughs> mm. The shtick is, Data likes Sherlock Holmes. He likes his deduction, but Data gets too good at it, so he can, like, solve the mystery in the first scenes. Like, mm. uh, Sherlock Holmes, I have a problem. I know who the problem is, and I know who the victim is, and you're the murderer, and there, we're done. Hey, Jordy, what do you think? I solved it that fast. It's like, well, it's not fun anymore. It's about yeah. deducing and figuring it out. And it's about conflict. What are you doing here? Investigation. Like, it's like, well, uh, I need something that's, like, a little bit more challenging for Data, who's an android. So they say, well... Computer, create uh, create somebody who would be challenging for data, not challenging for Holmes, but for data.
0: Yeah, and, and, in order, and
1: in order to do that, the ship has to become conscious,
0: which <laughs> feels like it should be a little outside the ship's wheelhouse. Yeah, like it probably like, should be can, some kind can't of, just
1: create a consciousness should, there out of be nothing. Some
0: safety protocols on that holodeck,
1: mm. <laughs> you know, like accidentally create artificial life.
0: Yeah, but they did, mm. and um, I love that whole premise. I think Moriarty's a fun character in those. And it, um, He
1: shows up again and he walks off the holodeck, which isn't supposed to be possible. And, yeah did you uh, did you see the
0: Ian McKellen version, Mister Holmes?
1: I did. Yeah, yeah. Good good character piece.
0: Not a great Sherlock Holmes story per se. Like the mysteries mm. well, involved. It's kind of besides the point, really. It, it's about him it's being really, retired.
1: It's really fascinating because it it's like this kind of sad, realist drama about this fictional character like yeah. rather rather than uh have him just like oh well I'm I'm retired now but it's not Sherlock Holmes still going on these really fanciful adventures no he's just an old man in retirement yeah and it's all very earnest about his aging and him facing death and yeah, yeah it, it makes you wonder why it was Sherlock Holmes at all
0: yeah it's kind of it's kind of a weird thing and there's a mm. lot of flashbacks like his mysterious last case and why he retired and mm. It's okay. It's good. It's it's basically you're here to see Serena Mckellen play Sherlock Holmes, and he's a good Sherlock Holmes. He mm-hmm. just you don't get to see him do the cool Sherlock Holmes stuff, yeah. which is a little anticlimactic. But uh, it is if you've seen a lot of other Sherlock stuff, worth checking out. Yeah. yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, and again, if anyone else has any other, especially if they're a little obscure, uh, Sherlock adaptations, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. So please let us know.
1: We have a lot of Canadian listeners. I'd be eager to hear if they've seen the Matt Frewer Sherlock yeah. Holmes films. Yeah, it's good, good casting. Thing. What you got uh, next? Yeah, here's a letter from Max. Uh, do, hello, Bibbs and Rockmeister. I'm, I'm Rockmeister McCool on this show. Hi, Max. Uh, I used to be a big Blu-ray collector, uh, building up a bookshelf of a few hundred of my favorite films over a six or so year stretch. Yet I have stopped this practice mm. in favor of saving up to buy a new new Criterion Blu-rays every year. Uh, okay. The library of the Criterion collection fascinates me though as it includes hundreds of films I've never heard of but also more mainstream films like The Princess Bride and The Breakfast Club. Is the Breakfast Club on I think Criteria it is now, yeah. Now? Oh wow, all right. Yeah. It also features Oscar winners like *Parasite* and *The Silence of the Lambs*, and even a couple of Michael Bay action blockbusters. These are more mainstream editions. These more mainstream editions fascinate me, and it leads to a question: hmm. What movies that are more known by mainstream audiences would you like to see added to the Criterion Collection? Huh. I would love to see a trio box of Barry Jenkins films or Damien Ooh. Chazelle's *Whiplash*. That'd be uh, cool. Thank you for reading and thank you for the hours of weekly entertainment, Max. Uh, yeah, the Criterion Collection, and again, if anyone
0: isn't super familiar with the Criterion Collection, a quick primer. Uh, the Criterion Collection is a home video releasing house. They started off in the Laserdisc days, uh, releasing, they would license and then release really immaculate, as immaculate as they could make uh, versions of classic and art house movies, and they were one of the first. Uh, home video distributing companies to in, uh, uh invest in special features like mm-hmm. commentary tracks. Yeah. Um around the time D V D came around and supplanted Laserdisc as the home video uh uh the home video like that actually like collectors really appreciated the most like their full widescreen and high definition and so on. Um a lot of movie studios stopped giving Criterion their big release titles because they wanted to make that money themselves. Yeah. Uh, but Criterion still had a few and they would release films like silence of the lambs and Robocop and m- perhaps most notoriously the rock and Armageddon, uh, which it, a lot of people sort of snicker at like, ha, Really? Yeah. Uh, those blu-rays of like, or those DVDs of the rock and Armageddon probably paid for like a million, like Bella tar movies that got released (laughs) on there. Those that got those things made. Uh, but, uh, in any case, they're able to get a lot of international classic, uh, uh, titles. And every once in a while, they're able to license mainstream stuff from other studios. Yeah. Uh, I imagine those licenses have cut off dates. So sometimes things go out of print and then those criterions become harder to find and they actually can be worth quite a lot on the collector's market depending on how many were actually printed. Uh, but the thing about when criterion releases like, I don't know, uh, mm. an Akira Kurosawa film or an Ozu film or a Varda film, uh, it's awesome because then we get a really awesome, beautifully put together, a uh, home video release of that film with immaculate uh, uh, mm. screen and image and lots of great special features and a cool essay that comes along with it. Uh, but it's also kind of expected because Criterion has become synonymous with art house greatness. Mm. So when they release a mainstream film like The Breakfast Club or something more recent like The Irishman, it's, it's kind of like the stamp of approval, yeah. isn't it? That mm. kind of means that like, ah, this is art. Mm. Of course it's all art. But you know what I mean? Like this is like ah, this is upper echelon shit and immediately this is, this deserves is, yeah,
1: w- yeah, worth worth a, a deeper look, worth consideration. Yeah.
0: And I like, feel the, like the they're...
1: the Princess Bride isn't just like oh, it's a fun cult movie you see at midnight right. with your buddies. No, no that's not, that's, it's, a,
0: that's a classic. This is
1: actually like a a piece of cinema. Let's look yeah. at it like like a yeah. an important work of art and That's actually delve into what this thing is and, and why you, it might actually be important.
0: And you look at The Breakfast Club, and The Breakfast Club <clears throat> might might mm-hmm. be seen as a little hokey today, and parts of it have not aged well, mm-hmm. but as a important film of the 1980s, which, remember, is 40 years ago now, uh, it's actually... Yeah, it's extremely noteworthy. It was very mm-hmm. influential. It was... Uh, a great acting showcase for an entire new generation of performers A lot of people look at The Breakfast Club And say to themselves, that is what high school was like for me Not me personally, but yeah. a lot of people do So there's definitely artistic value in that um, For me, if I were like to get an opportunity To bring on some films to the Criterion Collection What I would want to do is I would want to pick films that have a lot of artistic merit But aren't necessarily universally acknowledged as having artistic merit. Yeah. And as a result, if they become part of the Criterion Collection, a lot of people who had maybe written them off or got swept away by whatever the critical vibe was when they initially came out would feel obligated to reconsider that point of view. Mm. So, for example, one of the first things that comes to mind for me is Jupiter Ascending. Okay. Okay. Which is a really, again, it came out and people were not interested. And I'm not gonna claim, I'm not gonna, uh, I'm not gonna claim that it's like this absolutely immaculate movie where every single thing works. It's a bit of a mess. Mm. But it's a fascinating mess that is full of really complicated ideas and brand new images that we hadn't seen in things before. And gloriously, like, wild performances and really thought-provoking commentary on the society in which we live through the lens of a space opera. It's a subversive take on the, uh, you know, sort of the Princess Diaries kind of fantasy. What if you're actually a princess, but what if... It's a fucking horror show, and like they're gonna they're gonna try to make you like marry a relative and they're gonna try to kill you for your money
1: and like and, and, it, and you only got your money because you're literally like sapping life out of the universe. Yeah. Yeah. It's a,
0: it's an interesting film and I think it warrants a more appreciation than it gets. So I feel like if you put the criterion stamp on that, a lot of people would go,
1: damn, Jupiter ascending actually is pretty fascinating. Yeah. I actually should take a look at that one. I've I've noticed that about a lot of Wachowski's movies. Wachowski starship, uh, their their films come out and they're not appreciated until much later. I think mm. The Matrix was the exception to that. Oh, uh, well, bound! But bound was uh, their first well, but, movie, and, and bound would, wasn't like a gigantic runaway hit or anything. No, it was it critically acclaimed when it came
0: out, though. Yeah, uh, to, to its its credit. Mm. But like after the but Matrix, now it's got like a pretty
1: passionate cult following,
0: and that movie's amazing. And mm. it's one of my favorite film noirs. But like, yeah, what the, the Matrix was this breakaway hit, and after that they started getting budgets, mm-hmm. and with budgets. Come expectations So everyone's like oh I can't wait to see what makers of the Matrix Are going to do with Speed Racer And they're like hey this plays a lot Like the original Speed Racer And I'm like yeah what did you think it was going to be The Matrix (laughs) It looks like Speed Racer The trailers promise Speed Racer It's an awesome Speed Racer Speed Racer would be great In the Criterion Collection Yeah, I was going to
1: say (laughs) Heck with Jupiter Ascending Get Speed Racer in there uh, I for, oh, I, w- I wish I could remember uh, which critic wrote this. But they were talking about just the color palette mm. of Speed Racer, oh, So good. W- which yeah, you know, like it invented new colors. It's just insane. <laughs> and uh, and they described this as a wo- uh, the critic described it as this is a world where electric turquoise is the new black, and I, I've always <laughs> taken that with me.
0: Uh, um, what, what what other somewhat mainstream uh, films do I, yeah, you was, think would was, like deserve I was the Criterion treatment? About
1: that, like. What I appreciate about the Criterion Collection is they've, in a lot of ways, they've caught up to sort of my own personal taste. Mm. Like they started putting uh, David Lynch films in yeah. the Criterion Collection. Yeah. It's a big David Lynch fan. It's like you now you can get, I think, Mulholland Drive, The Elephant Man, Eraserhead, mm. Blue Velvet, Twin Peaks, and uh, I think maybe in <sighs> one or two others are all yeah. all have their own Criterion editions. Did now. they put
0: out Welded Heart yet?
1: I don't think I have. I, th- I think like, they'll probably the get to ends. it eventually. Like, they're probably they're probably trying. Yeah, I, I know MGM owns that film, and they're probably not going to want to let that one go. No. Um, there's a lot of like I'm also very fond of like the A24 canon. A lot of that mm. those sort of like uh, really heady dour horror movies yeah. that could would would do really well. But I feel like A24 is sort of their own stamp already. Yeah, they don't necessarily need the boost from Criterion.
0: I can. Th- oh, here's here are two that would be great on a Criterion collection. He put them together, I think, because it's mm. one film and a follow up. Uh, but it, are there any mainstream films that have received more universal critical acclaim than the two Paddington movies?
1: <laughs> those would be a good one yeah, that'd would be, be good really ones.
0: good honestly that would, that would probably sell well for Criterion because they don't have a lot of movies that are like suitable for families mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and also a lot of people would be like yes finally thank you the Paddington <laughs> movies are great and they are great and they're made with a lot of artistry and, and yeah. real thought went into them and they're really good that'd be yeah. really sweet actually
1: you know what I'd like to see mm-hmm. uh, a film that I think is actually one of the more significant films of the past like five or five years or so okay. it's definitely one of the more significant uh, films of the trump era but it's steven spielberg's the post yeah uh, the post good. came out and people i don't know why uh late stage spielberg i guess you'd call him uh isn't getting the same kind of traction that um his earlier films got like yeah. from going back i feel like a lot of people felt he he made schindler's list and then after that he was, like, kind of done. Well, I did Save from Private and, Ryan
0: shortly afterwards. Yeah, I guess, that was, okay, that maybe, was another big Private one. Private Ryan. It, but, it, it's, yeah, there's, like, there's always been two Spielbergs. There's been this incredibly, like, populist, adventure, mm. uh, escapist Spielberg.
1: Yeah, the the Raiders
0: of the Lost Ark, Steven Spielberg. Yeah, and, and then there's been uh the uh, America's Historian, Steven Spielberg. Yeah. And we love that second Steven Spielberg once in a while. And then the rest of the time we go, Eh, I mean Empire of the Sun was great, but was it really that great? And I'm like, yeah yeah, it was I don't know why we're not talking about it more. It's really fucking good, <laughs> and the, and occasionally, Louis Stumble. I think Amistad is mostly great, but it's, it, it oversells its hand. Yeah, it oversells its hand way too much. That, that is, and it's,
1: I, I feel it, like um, Amistad and Warhorse yeah. are two that are like a well, Warhorse. Spielberg, I find just like as hell. leaning way into his his yeah. schmaltzy tendencies. Amistad is a great
0: story, mm. uh, but again, I just think it's it's delivered just really in a very yeah. it, it, and granted, it's it's. It's not a subtle tale, but I still think they over they overplayed their hand yeah, sometimes. Uh, but but I, I, um,
1: I feel like his last great genre film was uh, Minority Report, and uh, and and I feel like, like AI AI is a weird creature yeah. uh, and things like Ready Player One and Tintin are just like technical experiments for him I think the BFG is not a great film but I think Um, it's a really underrated one BFG is quite good and I think it's actually incredibly uh, sweet and it's also strange which you don't get from a lot of kids uh, entertainments Mm -hmm. it's a film that climaxes with farting on the queen and and it's great it's this great moment of triumph (laughs) and the the queen's corgis fart so hard they rocket across the floor but
0: my point is this I feel like as though there are people the, the, the America's historic Steven Spielberg Mm. is seen as really hit or miss whereas populist Steven Spielberg almost never misses yeah Uh, he has a couple of times ready player one has a few fans but no one's super passionate about it that I can tell Uh, but mostly when he's doing populist stuff people are really really happy about it Um, but history hit or miss and with the post man some people have argued that it was too topical and I'm like is that possible like <laughs> like right now like oh man this really speaks to what we're going through at the moment that sucks what that's amazing that's great that that's happening so the post is really really great yeah. I actually totally agree with you I think the post is maybe its most underrated film of the last twenty years yeah um, like that, the, that's the, awesome
1: the post uh Bridge of Spies yeah. and Lincoln like all that's of these these movie. are all great movies they are
0: and, 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 Bridge uh, of Spies is my least favorite but yeah. Yeah, you know, but they're really good. It's
1: still really. I mean, Mark Rylance really sells he, that. Movie, it's his movie, yeah. really, yeah. But yeah, I, I think he has like a lot of interesting things on his mind, mm-hmm. and he's really trying to comment on the world at large. He's matured as a person as well as a filmmaker, mm-hmm. and I feel like he's still doing excellent work. And I think if we were to put something like The Post on the Criterion collection, yeah. people would be able to. Make that consideration Are there any
0: Spielberg films in the Criterion Collection?
1: No, I don't think I so think,
0: I think the studio knows that Spielberg is money And they're not going to give that away that easily But no. that would be cool uh, One last one last one I just thought of Because it was mainstream It didn't make a lot of money But it was mainstream uh, Paul Feig's A Simple Favor
1: Oh yeah, would that'd be great Would be a great, great Criterion great. If, you
0: if you haven't seen that That's mm. one of the great twisty turny Like mm. crime comedy Type movies I've seen mm. in a while. And, like, and, I imagine the Cohen brothers watching it and going, That's what we meant. <laughs> like, that's so spot on. And by God, Blake Lively should have won an Oscar for it. She was amazing. Everybody was amazing in that movie. Yeah. Uh,
1: and I will so, be openly and vocally upset if there is never a uh, Criterion box set for small acts.
0: Oh, it, my it God, just, yes. It just needs
1: to happen. That's not super mainstream yeah. in the way that we were talking about, but yes. But, but it's released on Amazon. Like, any yeah. anybody with an well, Amazon subscription can watch it. Some of those streaming services are going
0: to Criterion for their home video releases, mm. I think, because it has this great air of legitimacy. Like, the yeah, Irishman like Irish got men, it. Yeah, yeah, like, Netflix is doing it. I feel like Amazon might have done it already once, or, like, they were mm. open to it. Um, so, I wouldn't rule it out. I hope mm. they do. It would be a great idea. And I would, yeah. I would I would, buy the shit out of that I want that, I want that set <laughs> mm-hmm. um, But
1: that's a really fun question, thank you for, uh, thank you for asking Let's move on uh, Here's a letter from Name Redacted uh, okay. there's, there's no name at the bottom, I won't read your name Yep. Uh, hello William Bibiani And William Bibiani pronounced Rockmeister McCool Weird <laughs> uh, Spelled William Bibiani uh, I just thought I'd ask about your experience with the theater, The Arclight. Oh, I woke up today to the news that this historic theater would be will be closing, and I felt sad, even though I've never been to it. I honestly really don't know much about it. I've seen pictures and in the movies. Uh, it's a theater that often gets talked about by people in the industry. I live about four hours away from Los Angeles, but I just never had the chance. On that note, if I visit Los Angeles, which theater should I visit? Uh, anyway, I hope you guys are doing well. Thank you both. Um okay so if you're not from LA this might have
0: slipped by you or you might not have known why it's significant but uh about a week and a half ago now uh the there 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 was announced that even though theaters are starting to reopen mm. and Hollywood is expecting uh now that vaccines are becoming readily available uh the summer of 2021 to be mostly salvageable and hopefully we can start making some money, again, releasing movies in theaters and there will be more of a theatrical experience. Um, they announced that some theaters will not be reopening. Mm. Uh, in particular, these are films uh, the uh, at the Pacific, which is a theater chain that I don't know how far it expands, but I've, I've, as long as I can remember, there's been a Pacific theater nearby. Uh, and uh, most notably, the Arclight, which is not just one theater, it's actually a small chain of theaters, but they are... Uh, very large. Uh, they pride themselves on strong uh, presentation, uh, and uh, in particular, there's one arc light in Hollywood, uh, which has one of the most famous theaters in America, the Cinerama Dome, <laughs> uh, which was designed to showcase the film format Cinerama, which is like ultra ultra wide screen. There are actually very few films made in actual Cinerama. Uh, but the theater itself is still really incredible and a lot of great movies have had their premiere there. It's a big part of L.A. and Hollywood history. So the shutting down of all the theaters is sad, but the shutting down of The Arclight, and when we say The Arclight, we usually mean that one in Hollywood with the Cinerama Dome, has a lot of people really bummed out. Um, Since that announcement, there has been some speculation that It's not going to be as close as you might think, or this might be a ploy to get a bidding war started, Mm. or maybe Netflix would buy it. Uh, These are are all theories. It's it's all theories. None of of these are on record. We're not going to know how it's going to shake out until either they come up with a deal to keep the arc light open, Mm. someone else buys it, or they bulldoze the place and put in more condos. All three of those things, as far as I'm concerned, are plausible. Yeah, Uh, But... It does suck, to, and, and L.A. is notoriously unkind to its history. They oh, will yes. bulldoze anything if they can.
1: It's, it's valuable real estate, and, yeah. a, and a landlord doesn't care what was there. If they can make yeah. more money with something else, they'll bulldoze that old thing.
0: There are protected landmarks, mm. but not
1: everything you would think is a protected mm. landmark is a protected landmark. I think the Cinderama Dome might be, but I don't think I it think is. I think uh, the dome was built in the 60s, and mm. it's been operating ever since. And... Um... I'm fairly certain <laughs> that it, that it's a protected landmark. So the building itself is protected, but there's no... a, another rumor is that, yeah. uh, the land, a lot of the land around there and in Hollywood in particular is owned by the church of Scientology mm-hmm. and they could easily turn that into a Scientology temple. I don't yeah. think that's necessi- I don't think that's true. I don't know it's, how true that is. That's kind of happened before uh, in
0: Pasadena. We mm-hmm. had, when I was growing up in Pasadena, California, um, Pasadena was second only to New York City in having the most independent movie theaters. Now, that's not true anymore. A lot of them just couldn't keep going after a while. And they were, uh, you know, they were torn down or they were converted. A lot of them were converted into churches because it's a big stage. Mm -hmm. So not not all, but quite a few of them were. And one which I thought had to be a landmark. Ended up getting torn down. Uh, It was a great theater called The State. It was a single screen theater in like the heart of Pasadena, California. And at the time, and this was like 1999-ish, it was the longest continuously running movie theater In America, it had not closed its doors since it opened them in the 1920s. (laughs) And that includes like every time from when it was like a fabulous movie house to the 1970s when they had to get by showing porn. Like it was just this incredible piece of history. It was really, really cool, but they couldn't afford to retrofit it like for the new earthquake uh, standards. Mm. Movie uh, buildings in California have to meet certain standards in terms of like if there's an earthquake they have to be built in such a way that to minimize the damage and those standards evolve. And sometimes buildings need to be newly retrofitted and they couldn't afford to retrofit the state anymore just because it wasn't making enough money. So they ended up tearing it down because it was declared unsafe. So even being theoretically a landmark isn't a guarantee. Mm. Uh, but in any case, do you have any particular memories of the Arclight that you like to share? Uh, a lot of people have been sharing um,
1: uh, them. Here's something really embarrassing. I never got to go to the Dome that often. Yeah, I only went uh, like once or twice. Uh, the last film I saw in the Dome was The Santa Claus with Tim <laughs> Allen. It's been that long. And, for me, uh, it was Roland Emmerich's Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's been a bit for both yeah. of us. Um, yeah. So yeah, I didn't get to go into the Dome that often. I was... Um, uh, Often an opportunity to see my boss's new film in the dome, but, uh, didn't, didn't go. Uh, just yeah. other things got in the way. Uh, the arc light, uh, was frustratingly located. Yeah. Uh, you and I live on the West side of LA, uh, which is, uh, it's only about like eight to 11 miles to wherever you want to go in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, which means it's a four hour drive.
0: Yeah. The way, the way LA works is there's like, there's th- Three freeways. <laughs> one that mostly goes. There's there's one that technically it's considered Good north or, south, but it basically it hmm. goes east west. Then there's one parallel to it at the bottom of LA. Hmm. That one's at the top of LA. There's one parallel to it at the bottom of LA that goes east west. And then there's the four hundred five, which goes north south. Inside that big square is a ton of real estate. Like it's huge. And if you need to go somewhere that isn't directly off that freeway. It is a pain in the ass to get to. So getting to the Landmark from where we live, unless you go Uh, at a very particular uh, time of day. The Arclight. I'm sorry, going to the Arclight. Landmark's a different theater chain. Going to the Arclight at almost any time of day is like you're going to spend at least an hour and a half in traffic. Mm. I have been, like, I remember very specifically going back to the Wachowskis. I was supposed to go to a screening of Cloud Atlas. Okay. At the Arclight. I left my apartment complex with solid Two hours. Two hours of, of driving time. And I thought that was cutting it close. Because of the arc light it is. And I ended up stranded in total gridlock traffic. Two blocks away from the arc light. Oh my god. Two, I could have gotten up and walked. And I would have been fine. But there was no place to park my car. So I ended up being stranded there for 40 minutes. Two blocks from the arc light. Oh I ended up missing the beginning of the film. And because I was supposed to be reviewing it, I can't not see the beginning of the movie. Mm, that, and that's then, irresponsible. Yeah, I, can't, I can't tell you if the movie's any good if I don't know how it began. Maybe the beginning completely recontextualizes everything. I think I have responsibility for that. If I miss more than the first, like if I'm, if I'm not already in the hallway looking for my seat, hearing the first couple of seconds of the movie, I will not review that film. Because I think I'm not, I'm doing it a disservice. So, like, mm-hmm. that's the most I will do is, oh, oh thank God, the, the the Warner Brothers title card just popped yeah. up, and that's all <laughs> I missed. That's the only time I'll do it. Mm. Um, so I'm screwed. But here's my fun memory of it: I got there so late, and there was supposed to be a Q and A afterwards. That I saw the publicist and I was like, Oh, it already started, didn't it? And she was like, Yeah, like 30 minutes ago. And I'm like, ah, I just gotta go home. But I think I'm just gonna sit here and wait out the traffic. And they're like, and they're like, cool, you wanna hang out with Lana Wachowski for a minute? I'm like,
1: Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I got to hang out with Lana
0: Wachowski for a few minutes and she was amazing. Oh, that's great. Uh, so that was that made the most of it. I also got to host a QA there with Nick Frost once. So that was mm. cool. He was a very nice guy. And when he nice. found out that my nickname was Bibbs, he was just like, oh, like Bibb Fortuna in Star Wars. And oh I'm like, my God, what a nerd. That's <laughs> exactly what I expected you to say. Because huh. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Um, so that was fun, too. But I've been there a lot. I've been there yeah. a lot. So I only no, had to go uh, to the Cinerama yes. Dome a few times.
1: The, it was it was a popular spot for us to go see screenings. So, yeah, yeah. I would go there a lot uh, to, to that particular arc light. Mm. Uh, The Arclight, however, started a trend in filmmaking that everybody loves but me. Mm. I actually hate this uh, because when I get a ticket, I like to buy my ticket, go to the theater, and then pick out my seat and sit wherever it is depending on who is in the theater or Uh, where I want to sit. Yeah. Uh, the Arclight started the trend in 2002 and this was like a, a conscious effort by the people who designed it, uh, to have you select your seat at the box office. Assigned seating was not the norm until like the mid 2000s.
0: Yeah. 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 The, the,
1: there was no assigned seats before that. Uh, that, that yeah. was for the stage. That was for theater. Yeah. For movies, you just go in and you choose your seat. And I liked that. I liked being able to just go in and choose my seat. Yeah. There are practical concerns that
0: make it like if you're like, Oh, I'm with a bunch of people and I'm here late and there's plenty of seats but none of them are all together. That sucks. Like it
1: all came from this oh well, you know, if it's a sold out show you're gonna want that. Well, yeah, but I I think you can kind of sense if you're gonna see a big blockbuster on a Friday night, you can be pretty sure it's gonna be a crowded show. Mm -hmm. So you just get there early. And once everybody started getting their tickets in advance, the pro, you know, the bottleneck was just moved to a different location. Nothing's well, changed. Well, like we wouldn't have that thing where like people were like in line to
0: see Star Wars around the block, and mm. everyone was like really nervous because you're not sure if you're going to get a decent seat or not. Yeah, you know, if you got a decent seat, it doesn't matter where you stand in line. That's your seat. Yeah. So, some would argue that that kind of ruined that experience because being in line is part of like the communal yeah it's like like being in line for a roller coaster you know it's like building anticipation we're all here for the same reason isn't this fun get to meet new people all that kind of stuff on the other hand now i can show up five minutes before the movie and not have
1: to worry about finding my seat
0: Mm.
1: so there's a pro and con with it there's a pro and there's a con but i I always i typically went to movies during the day when the the theaters were pretty empty anyway
0: well if they're empty no one's gonna give a shit if you like change your seat
1: the problem is they do I would go in and I just sort of, like, there's four other people in the whole theater. Nobody yeah. cares. Yeah. And so it's like, well, I mean, to heck, I'll just sit over there. It's uh-huh. not the, it's not quite the number on my ticket, but who cares? And the usher would come in and say, that's not your seat. You have to go to your seat. It's like, there, there's nobody in, within eight seats of me. It that's doesn't an, matter at all. That's
0: an, usher, that's an usher who was recently chewed out by an assistant manager yeah, for not doing that. That I mean, usher did not care. I, you, I, I'm sure they didn't. Yeah. You know, uh, that's they they, who they just didn't to as much that they,
1: they needed to impress their boss. I have
0: been in situations where I'm like okay there's nobody here I'm just going to sit. I, I got this one crappy ticket. I don't know why I ended up with this mm. so I'm just going to sit here in the middle because there's no one here and then at the end of when the movie began like two people showed up and I happened to be in their seat and they asked me oh to move God. and I'm like Okay, fair enough, but come, come on, <laughs> sit over there a little bit. What the fuck? No, okay. no, no, we picked these. You're, you're in my seat. Like, okay, fine. I'm not. I will move, mm. but
1: also, come on, come on, just sit there. <laughs> eh,
0: who cares? Anyway, um, the ArcLight is an important and influential uh, theater here in LA, mm. and every time a big theater closes down in LA, it does feel like a chapter is closed in yeah. the California history. We do not preserve
1: los angeles history we just don't and and the ideas of uh i'm increasingly convinced that uh, theaters are going to go the way of uh back to vertical integration Mm -hmm. that the big studios are going to buy the theaters uh netflix already has the egyptian
0: which is another one of the most iconic uh, movie theaters in Mm -hmm. la and that's actually one of the theaters where you know you asked if you're in la what theaters do you go to Mm -hmm. A lot of the theaters that I would pick for you aren't there anymore. My favorite theater in L.A. history that I ever got to go to was a theater called the National in Westwood, which is just a gorgeous motion, just gorgeous. You had it was only one screen, but it was gigantic,
1: and it was imagine like. Like the suits that Roger Moore wore in that uh, that TV show, The Persuaders. He really swank imagine, in 70s. Imagine yeah. that that suit is a theater. Yeah. Like that, that kind of nice, mellow, really comforting color palette. Yeah,
0: it's really, really pretty. It's mm. very, very chill. And I saw a lot, everything looked better in that theater. And that theater is gone mm-hmm. now. Um, it was preserved by David Fincher in the movie Zodiac. Uh, because he was looking for a movie theater that looked like it would have been around in the 70s, and it was like the last one that did. So, in the movie Zodiac, when Mark Ruffalo goes to see the movie Dirty Harry, which was inspired by the Zodiac Killer, uh, that's the theater that they're at, yeah, and that's hey. the thing that I find really ironic here. Where Hollywood loves to like talk to to, t- 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 about the importance of themselves, well, they love. To, like, elevate L.A. history as if it's really, really wonderful. But then when the opportunity comes around to actually protect it, they don't. Like, look at something like The Rocketeer. The Rocketeer is filled with great L.A. iconography. Like, all these wonderful restaurants that just don't... Like, a restaurant that looks like a bulldog. That was a thing. That doesn't exist anymore. We recreated it for The Rocketeer and then we threw it the fuck down. Pisses me off. Um, So... Sometimes you can see these things in movies. The Aviator is full of a lot of this cool stuff too. If you want to check out some old what Hollywood used to look like, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, when they close stuff down, it's always a tragedy. But if you're in LA, uh, I do recommend, and I would I would say this anyway, but you should go to the New Beverly. It happens to be the movie theater where Whitney is the is the projectionist.
1: I I, I can't recommend that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I will in, say this in good conscious, but it, it is will the theater this. where I work.
0: We we are running out of theaters in L A. that play repertory films on the regular. There's a few left There's one in Santa Monica
1: What's that one called again? Well the Arrow, Arrow. is part of the uh, the Cinematheque
0: Yeah the Arrow Anything from the American Cinematheque So the Egyptian and the Arrow They play uh, uh, catalog films And sometimes they'll play new stuff too Usually if there's like a Q&A afterwards But they'll play older films Classic films uh, Big calendars of film retrospectives So make sure you check those out And the new Beverly Where Whitney Seibold works And which is owned by Quentin Tarantino they show a lot of Grindhouse stuff and a lot well, of well, movies. That... Only
1: on Tuesday. I, yeah. I, I guess I can talk about you know what we do at the theater where we work. Yeah. Yeah, every Tuesday is Grindhouse night. Yeah.
0: Uh,
1: but ev- uh, every other two days is a double bill. Yeah. And it's all personally programmed by uh, by Quentin Tarantino. Uh, yeah. Some of the Midnights are programmed by people who are helping him out. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the films come from his personal collection. Yeah. Because he owns a good number of prints. And, my, point, and it's, my and everything's on film. Yeah, that, and he insisted on that.
0: And 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 the my point is, is the cool thing with that calendar is that that the stuff that he shows, you'll see a bunch of classics there, but oftentimes they're programmed with something that is less well known. Mm. So you're more likely to see something at the New Beverly that you won't see somewhere else than at any other theater. Yeah. So those are the theaters that I would highly recommend you go see in LA because a lot of the theaters that we have left now in LA are just like any other theater. Like I go to the Egyptian by all means. Mm. Uh, uh, not the go to um, uh, Grauman's Chinese But oh, Chinese Except for the lobby Feels like just another theater To me right now It really does Or uh, what's the Disney th- Is it the Pantages The El Capitan The El Capitan Pantages is a stage Yeah thank you The El Capitan Is actually right across the street From Gramman's Chinese It is gorgeous
1: The least comfortable seats In California like uh it it's really great if you don't have legs like yeah. uh, like there's no there's no literally no leg room like you could sit yeah. straight like stock straight and your knees would be t- touching the seat in front of you and
0: if and if you're like me if you're just a big person you know yeah uh the seats are very cramped mm. uh so they're just not comfortable to sit in i cannot recommend them in good conscience but if that's not an issue for you it's gorgeous, and a lot of the times they will sh- when they show movies, they'll actually have like an organist playing beforehand hmm. in like a very old timey kind of way. that's really really charming, so I do recommend that as an experience. Yeah. But it can be uncomfortable.
1: Problem is they they only. Play music like from Disney animated musical films.
0: Well, they only play show games. Disney movies because Disney owns that
1: theater, oh, right? Right. right. Yeah. But, you know, so it
0: fits. So, but it, like you, nice. it gets old quick. Yeah, it's nice to.
1: It's nice to hear that organ, but there's only so many times I can yeah. hear "It's a Small World" before I want to murder somebody. Yeah, and that time, it's about one third of a time. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you
0: don't you don't get, you don't get there too early. No, <laughs> It's a big mistake. Um, But anyway, that's a great... Thank you for asking. That's a great question. Um, um, I hope that was interesting. If you're not from Mm. LA, I really don't know. They're
1: they're reopening Disneyland, but they left It's a Small World in there. (laughs) They they had this opportunity (laughs) to take it down and take it out. It's an icon that needs to be burned to the ground. Dude, it is a small world. And I want it to be a lot smaller. (laughs) I want it to be so small that I can step over it on my way to a good ride. Moving on. Here's a letter... Here's a letter from Luke. Hello, Luke. Hi, Luke. Um, hello, Bibbs and Chevalier McCool. Ooh. Chevalier being French for sir or knight. Uh, as a big fan of short films, I loved that you devoted a whole episode of cr- Critically Acclaimed to them. And hearing you talk about Colette brought to mind something that I've carried in my very soul most of my life. Hmm. Uh, Colette, uh, brief recap, was an uh, in interview with a uh, Holocaust Survivor. Yeah and uh, her her experiences and how she and a young reporter visited the uh, the camp where her, i think it was her brother yeah, she she actually
0: yeah. wasn't in the camp but her mm. brother was a pow who was sent to the camp mm. and she had never actually visited the site because she found it kind of ghoulish but mm. now that she's like in her 90s uh she felt the need to go and mm. she brought uh, uh someone who was researching the Holocaust with her, like a young woman from college. And they have, basically it's them talking about it and they have a moment and they're really fascinating
1: people. And it's a really, really good documentary Mm -hmm. short. Uh, Luke says, I am 42 and I grew up consuming old anthology shows, especially the twilight zone. Uh, season three, episode nine is an episode called death's head revisited. It was written by Rod Serling, a Jewish man, world war two veteran and political activist. Uh, In the episode, a former commandant of a Nazi death camp who had escaped capture at the end of the war and had created a new identity for himself returns to the camp he oversaw, which is now being preserved. I will spare you and the listeners further details uh, of the episode so as not to spoil it, because like so many Twilight Zone episodes, it's incredible and powerful. That's a a bell-timer classic. That (laughs) that
0: episode's amazing.
1: Uh, The episode, as all episodes do, ends with a narration from Mr. Sterling and his and is prompted by a closing line from the episode where a doctor questions why such camps are preserved. Quote, There is an answer to the doctor's question. All the Dachaus must remain standing. The Dachaus, the Belsens, the Buchenwalds, the Auschwitzes, all of them. They must remain standing because they are a monument to a moment in time when some men decided to turn the earth into a graveyard. Into it they shoveled all of their reason, their logic, their knowledge, but worst of all, their conscience. And the moment we forget this, the moment we cease to be haunted by its remembrance, then we become the gravediggers. Something to dwell on and to remember, not only in the Twilight Zone, but wherever men walk God's earth. You guys did touch on why it is important to remember the whys and hows of humanity's sins, but I just wanted to throw this out there... uh... To hopefully add to it, because it is one of the most powerful things I carry with me. Uh, sorry if this was a bummer. So on a lighter night so on a lighter note, I love you guys. <laughs> Sincerely, Luke. Oh well, thank Luke, you. Luke, we love you too. Thank also, you for that. Don't, don't worry about keeping it light. No, 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 no don't worry
0: about that. And and seriously, we should talk more about the art that actually like has like this deep in your soul impact. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like so often, because it's fun and there's no denying mm-hmm. that it's fun we talk about the light entertainment mm. and often we complain when the light entertainment tries to touch our soul. Like why stay in your own lane, Marvel movies. Stop talking about politics like that kind of thing. Like, like, like superheroes aren't aggressive. Captain America, yeah. for God's sake. Like his t- name is Captain America. And there's a whole TV series right now. Like actually like that's trying, I think stumbling sometimes, but trying to reckon with the legacy of having a character named Captain America, Who was a white guy and actually Mm. didn't represent the American experience terribly well. I think they're actually doing... The series isn't over yet. I haven't seen the last episode by the time we recorded this. But they're at least trying to address that. Uh, Good for them. I'm glad you're at least bringing it up. Even if it's just more action schlock. Mm. Whatever. Anyway. But um, my my, my point is this. Um, We should be talking about that stuff. And I'm actually glad you brought this up. Because also I think the last episode of We've Got Mail we talked about The Twilight Zone and why someone argued that because The Twilight Zone was only one of many anthology shows, some many of them, others, were even Supernatural-themed, why is The Twilight Zone so significant and is The Twilight Zone perhaps underrated? Mm -hmm. And we talked a lot about that, but I realized one thing we didn't really talk about enough was the fact that Rod Serling, as a writer on television, kept running into roadblocks from... The networks or from their sponsors, when he tried to tell stories about serious issues, like when he tried to tell stories about racism, he would find out that the studio was like or the network was like, yeah, can you make this about an ex-con instead? And he's like, no. (laughs) And so he was he couldn't deal with these things directly. He wasn't allowed to; otherwise, he would be forced to be rewritten by. The people who ran the money and ran the network So uh, the Twilight Zone Was an opportunity To tell stories that were Aggressively topical That were incredibly significant And spoke mm. to controversial social issues uh, But because There was this thin veneer Of sci-fi fantasy and horror He could get away with it most of the time mm. And that's another great example Where that's an episode that is Death Head Revisited is a classic It's incredible Uh, but that is a hard sell in most... I mean, even today, to be like that forthright is something that a lot of people are going to be like, yeah, okay, that's brilliant, but is it marketable? The Twilight Zone was a means by which anything, even the headiest ideas, even the most dour and serious ideas, could be made marketable. Mm. And that's one of the things that made that show so great. Uh, And uh, yeah, if you haven't seen Twilight Zone, especially if you haven't seen that episode, check that one out. That Mm. one's really great. So yeah. thank you for bringing that
1: up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, more letters. We we'll got time for a couple more. All right. Um, here's a letter from Cecil. Hi Cecil. Hi Cecil. Um, hi Bibbs and Rockmeister McCool. I wanted to let you guys know about my mental health improvements after quitting Facebook. Hey. Uh, I've written two letters about this, and while this might be my final one and never see never again, I joined a D and D group because my decision to quit social media came one week before lockdown. Fun. Oh no. It's like fun with like eight years. Yeah. Uh, So after I made a a group of core friends off of Facebook, I got better and then decided uh, that instead of buying 5XL shirts that I would try to lose weight. So I went into a program uh, that I have access to, which allows people with disabilities. And uh, since October, I've learned how to cook and I've lost 16 kilograms or 35 pounds. So instead of going to 5XL, I'm now very close to 2XL and my mental health has improved even more. Uh, it's even a good year for self-reflection, and I like what I've done in twenty twenty as the f- and and the first quarter of this year. Sincerely, Cecil. Well, Cecil, good you. for you. Yeah, good for you. Um, that's yeah. great. Thank, thanks for. I I like letters like this, just sort of giving us an update on you um, and how you're doing. Yeah, um,
0: it's such a rough time, and so many horrible things have happened mm-hmm. in the last few years, and then some good things too. But it's hard not to get swept away by the negativity. And it's important to remember that, you know, nice things are happening. Good things are happening. People are being able to improve your lives. And if that, if anyone listening right now, if that doesn't describe you right now, if you're one of the people who is in a, in a rough moment, it's, it, time will go on and things can and will get better. And this is a nice reminder of that. So, uh, Cecil, congratulations, you know, leaving social media. I left Twitter for a few months, uh, last year uh, and it was really important for my mental health I was really mm-hmm. uh, what they were calling doom scrolling I just kept looking at social media Looking for the next thing that had gone wrong gosh, I got kind no. of addicted to that It was really bad for my mental yeah. health So I had to stop doing that um, uh, I'm glad you found yeah. a community with your so D&D group. Uh, I'm, i group If people are comfortable with their weight That's great But if what you want to do is lose weight Good for you It sounds like you're on a really good path with that That's mm-hmm. awesome So yeah
1: yeah, so excellent. Sounds yeah. like you're doing really oh, yeah. well. I'm just super yeah. happy uh, for just, you. Uh, yeah, D and D is a, a good social outlet. It's mm-hmm. something you can do from a distance. It's something that takes a lot of imagination. Yeah,
0: uh, you can yeah. find you find mm-hmm. the right group. They can be your friends forever mm. if you, you know. And also sometimes friends fall apart, but you know what I mean. Like, it's a good, it's a great bit of community. Is my point. Yeah. Like, and, you know, and I don't want to promise you'll be friends forever. That seems presumptuous. But like, it, it's I mean, really,
1: really awesome. Is my point. And th- this is. Hardly a novel observation, mm-hmm. but uh, social media is bad for your soul. Um, Twitter is a is a toilet. It's <laughs> it's just a terrible place. There's uh, a lot
0: of things that are great on Twitter. I think Twitter is great for uh, social activism. You know, you can find people mm, who are interested yeah. in serious issues. You can you can actually you, uh,
1: use it as an organization tool. That yeah.
0: part is great. Uh, it can be really really great for. Uh, elevating voices that might otherwise be pushed aside Mm -hmm. on various topics. That part is really, really awesome. But even just its fundamental construct, Twitter is a long list of people's, sometimes people put a lot of thoughts in their tweets, but a lot of a stream of consciousness. Mm. So what you're doing is randomly scrolling through the brains of a lot of people. And if you really carefully curate your timeline, maybe that's not jarring. But if you're like me and I follow a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons, it can be very upsetting and very discombobulating. Yeah. And it's the human well, least... mind isn't designed to actually like absorb this much input this often. And I think it often puts I, I was watching um one of the shows we're about to re- do an episode on for cancel too soon is a show called the Black Donnelly's. Mm. And I was watching the Black Donnelly's and it takes place around 2005 And there was a bit where someone had to wait for someone to show up in their car. And I realized that I in any other show now they would be looking at their phone that whole time mm. instead here's this person and they're like stuck with a dead body they're trying to dispose of and they're just sitting on the curb with it for an hour and i'm like so they were just sitting there thinking that whole time <laughs>
1: <laughs> what a horrible you're just nothing but anxiety and fear that whole bit a, a friend of mine uh got to sort of sass back at a teenager recently yeah. uh the uh, the teenager was looking at their phones like oh gosh and i'm glad we were able to sort of change our plans midstream because we have these phones and we can stay in communication. What did you people do before these phones? (laughs) Teenager said very condescendingly. And, and she looked the teenager right in the eye and says, we made plans and we showed up on time. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, That's how it worked. Yeah. We said, be there at that time. And you were there at that time. And that's the way that works. You had
0: a responsibility because otherwise Mm. they wouldn't know Mm.
1: exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and, and another thing about Twitter that I, like, somebody pointed this out to me recently was their, their audience isn't growing. There aren't more and more people coming into Twitter all the time. It's kind of, it's been holding steady for numerous years. there are young
0: people who are getting their first Twitter accounts, Mm. but yeah, they kind of hit critical mass on Twitter where the people who are
1: on Twitter are the people who are on Twitter. Which means all of those AI algorithms now need to work overtime to keep the same eyes more engaged, yeah. and what and they've discovered, uh, rather dismayingly, that outrage and anger. Are, have been a wonderful way to keep you engaged with Twitter. Yeah. And so if you don't leave Twitter outraged, then Twitter has failed you. Yeah. You're, that, it, it's designed to keep you outraged. No, and it's
0: terrible. And there's so many things, there's so many business models that all they care about is what works, but the only thing that they consider working is engagement or purchasing. Hmm. They don't think about what's nourishing.
1: No. You know, they're not yeah. they're not
0: concerned about you go on Twitter and you have a positive experience. That should be like what it's about. That's why like we have concepts like customer service. You know, like when I was working at retail and they would say like, you have to greet every customer and I was like, isn't that kind of a lot? Like I'm not saying it's like too much to do, but like isn't that just kind of in your face and like well, the premise at any rate and we can't guarantee everyone's going to have a positive response to it, but the premise is people will feel welcome. And will feel like they belong here, and like it's a nice place to visit. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I can kind of see that. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. Twitter is not like that. No, <laughs> Twitter is outwardly antagonistic, and I know that like every single person has probably been guilty of that at some point of being snarky mm. or cynical. I know I've done it too. But like a lot of people who are just outright jerks on that thing, and it can let them flourish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird. Um, but in any case, yeah, leave social media if it's not making you happy.
1: Really, yeah, I, I, it's I, I, it's fine. More, more, and more of my friends are doing it. Yeah. Uh, more and more of like the horrendous crimes and lack of care that was that went into making these things is yeah. is just being exposed more and more, while yeah. the creators are just running off with suitcases full of money. Yeah, it, it's this incredibly cynical enterprise that is not doing us any. Kind of major favors when it comes to our own personal mental health And it's worth remembering that social media as we
0: know it I mean Mm. technically social media like dates back to the late 90s But like as we know it In the Facebook and Twitter era Mm. It's still like 15 years old Like it's Mm. not It's actually not so old that we can't call it a fad yeah, Like we can't just say like, and we, you know Remember
1: remember, like 10 years ago when everyone was on Facebook yeah, And everyone and like, had a Twitter account And like,
0: yeah, we still might have those things Because they do serve certain functions And they are useful for, again, organization Like, before Facebook, there was no way I knew anyone's birthdays Like, I'll, I'll say that right now It's <laughs> yeah, nice yeah. to have everyone's birthdays in one place Isn't that nice? That, that's a positive Is it worth all the other shit? Like all the misinformation campaigns? no But if we could only use it for that nice stuff, aces. Like, that part's great. So, like, we might get to the point now where people realize that social media is often unhealthy. uh, And maybe a bit of a distraction from things that matter a little bit more. Mm. uh, And we can all kind of step aside from that a little bit. Let it take up a much smaller percentage of our lives. And maybe that will help. Then again, what the fuck do I know? I'm a film critic. (laughs) But this makes sense to me.
1: Yeah. Anyway. I was that one more letter? One more letter. Okay. Uh, here's a letter from Lord Laxton of Hoggan Manor. Wow. Oh, Of the Bridgeport Hagens. Um <laughs> Well, I'm jealous of your name. <laughs> Greetings, Rockmeister McCool and Bibbs the Boy Wonder. You are younger than me. I am. So, you know, I am. I forgot
0: yeah. about that sometimes, but yeah. Because <laughs> I, I, do I, do I... Do
1: I... We look
0: about the same age.
1: I, I suppose you'd have to put us next to each yeah, other. Yeah, I think we we're pretty close. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Uh, let me start by saying I love your shows. Oh, thank thank you. you. And look forward to each new episode. I originally came to you through Cancel Too Soon, so it reminds me my favorite of your podcasts. Unfortunately, I feel that it often takes a backseat to everything else that you do. Sometimes. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, Cancel Too Soon is such a time commitment in terms of yeah. viewing stuff a lot of the time. Like, if we're not watching just, yeah, like, just, a
0: pilot, that's, like, a big, that's, like potentially like anywhere between five and 20 hours a week and it's hard to do that on a non-bi-weekly we're trying to at Mm. least keep it bi-weekly right now but it's a little hard Mm. and we we might need Mm. to make some big scheduling decisions in the nearest future but yeah Mm. so
1: yeah also i miss the occasional letters episodes of cancel too soon since you created we've got mailed cancel too soon is rarely the topic of any letter that is read Mm. perhaps you could bring back cancel too soon letters episodes as a way to address this situation maybe and maybe you guys uh, and buy you guys some time to finish watching our particularly long series uh, finally I have a suggestion for a new slogan instead of where good taste and bad taste collide which is one we're ambivalent about I think yeah I'm, I'm uh, not married to it yeah. yeah you could say welcome to critically acclaimed where we celebrate all of cinema from the high to the mind pollutant." <laughs> oh I love that Oh, that's wonderful.
0: Okay, I'll tell you what. We'll try that once
1: <laughs> from the highfalutin. We to will the try that at least yeah, right, once. Right that I'm down, writing it down.
0: Yeah. I'm going to write it down. We will try this once, and we'll see if we dig it. Which is no promises, mm-hmm. but it is fun.
1: Yeah, it is fun. <laughs> but anyway, best wishes, Lord Laxton of Hagen Manor. Uh, yes, my wife bought me one of those fake titles as a joke, but damn it, I'm going to use it like it's real. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, you can buy those titles. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, well, Lord, thank you for writing. (laughs) Uh, And thank you so much. And thank you for the
0: fun idea. We're definitely going to try that out. Uh, So that is We've Got Mail for this week. Thank you, everybody, for writing it. We always appreciate it. Um, If you want to write in for a future episode, in case you forgot to write it down or you're coming in late somehow, Mm. uh, it's uh, letters at net. Letters at net is our email address. We would love to hear from you. We don't have time to read everything, but we try, and uh, we try to make sure we have a real conversation about everything we do read. Um, so we do our best. Uh, if you want to contact us in between, we are technically on the Twitter that we just decried. Uh, we're at, we're <laughs> well, at Critic Acclaim, and individually, we are at William Bibbiani. I'm
1: at Whitney Seibold. Yep, uh,
0: I I'm on there rather often, uh, just because. It's, I don't know.
1: It, because you're addicted. I'm a little we're, we're, addicted we're all to it. Addicted. Yeah, I'm a little the, the, addicted little, to it. those little endorphin hits you get from well, interaction. I, I
0: actually find Twitter to be at its best, uh, pretty useful from an like a art criticism perspective. I mean, hmm. you get a lot of people who like aren't having a good faith conversation or don't know what they're talking about sometimes. But it's a really good way to quickly engage with people hmm. about things like movie recommendations or questions they have about the industry, or to Uh, just sort of highlight little things or raise awareness of movie history uh, in a way that is fun but doesn't require a big time commitment. I've actually found it to be a very effective delivery system for film criticism. Mm. But there's a huge downside.
1: Well, because unfortunately it's short form unless you're going to sit down and write a long Twitter thread. And if you're doing that, you may as well just write an article, you know? Well, I'm not... (laughs) I don't have a market for that right yeah, now. Yeah, unfortunately, so nobody's like, nobody's paying for for us to rage. Yeah, right now. so
0: it's it's what I got right mm-hmm. now. But uh, in any case, uh, we are on Twitter. You can check us out there, and if you want to contact us, please do. Uh, if you want more critically acclaimed, uh, you can absolutely check out our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Critically Acclaimed Network. Uh, in addition to links to all of our uh, all of the free shows on this feed, we have a lot of exclusive shows, including shows about Star Trek shows about Batman, shows about Disney. We got commentary tracks. We're going to do a commentary track for Joel Schumacher's Batman and Robin sometime in the next week or so. Uh, and other exclusive stuff as well. So thank you to every single one of our patrons without whom we would not exist. And mm. we're incredibly grateful to you for, for all of that. Uh, and uh, yeah, and, and cancel too soon coming. As I mentioned, we are working on the black Donnellys mm. uh, for the next episode. And um, we, we are scheduling has been really tricky. In the year of COVID. Um, so.
1: Because um, yeah, schools are closed. So I've been a kindergarten teacher yeah. every day we, we, for the last 145 days. It's we, been a long time. We
0: used to be able to record during the day and then it was much easier to keep on at least a semi regular schedule. And it's been a little erratic and mm-hmm. we don't like it either. But we're doing the best we can do right now and we're constantly trying to push ourselves as hard as we can. Mm-hmm. It is currently about almost 1 a.m. in the morning. We do this as much as we possibly can. Uh, And if that's not enough, I am so sorry. We are trying. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we'll keep trying harder. And again, as things clear up and people get vaccinated, please get vaccinated. Uh, Hopefully the schedule will start clearing out a little bit and we can deliver more and Mm -hmm. more regularly the stuff that you like. Um, and, and, And in the meantime, thank you to everybody for your support, especially to our patrons, but everybody, whether or not you can afford to contribute or not. We're incredibly grateful to you. Um, and um, so we did the Twitter. We did the mm-hmm. the Patreon. Uh, the Soap Store is still available on Etsy. <laughs> etsy.com. Look for Salt Cat Soap, all one word. That's where you'll find Handcrafted Soaps uh, by M. Lampus De Silva, my wife and partner, and myself. Uh, and uh, thank you everybody who's checked out those soaps. And Mother's Day is coming. So she might want some fancy soaps because they're Nice. And we think you'll like them. So thank you, everybody, who's checked those out and left us uh, so many positive reviews, actually. It's been really nice to see the Mm -hmm. response. Um, So, again, thank you, everybody. And uh, until then, sincerely yours, Bibbs and Whitney.